The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. It sounded like the music was higher than I'm used to. Yeah. Welcome. It's that, <laughs> it's that time. We're back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here with Scott. Hey, Scott. Word. How's it going? It's going good, brother. How you feeling? I can't hear you very well. Really? Yeah. How's that? That's that's great. <laughs> uh, I'm, I've been better. I'm a little under the weather for the show tonight. Well, perfect timing. It, it actually is perfect timing. Couldn't be happier to be sick, to be honest, <laughs> uh, because uh, we had plans to make uh, this show the return of the Rare Barrel staff. Yeah. And here they all are. Man. In full force. Full house. Yeah, very full house. That's uh, where you guys say something so people know that yeah, you're here. Exactly. Thank there you. Go. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> no, very well-trained staff. <laughs> We'll get to um, introductions and uh, some old faces and some new ones from the last time we had the staff in the studio. I'll just get spit out this top of the show stuff and then literally let everyone else talk for the rest of the time. How does that sound? Good? Sounds good to me. Cool. You guys ready to do some live reads tonight for me? They all pointed at each other. You do it. No, you do it. Well, if you guys out there want to do some live reads, just call us. Contact 888-401-BEER. Join us in the chat room. Feedback during the week, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. Watch us live. We are on. We're on. On TV, everyone. Thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV, everyone's favorite channel. You can listen live. Uh, the Brewing Network app to search BN Mobile. Uh, subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I guess this is usually where we pause to do an iTunes review? Review of the week. You have one locked and loaded? I do. Uh, you know, importantly, though, you know, this is our 50th episode. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Uh, it's a very important <laughs> milestone that we forgot to mention. You can tell by my inflection that I'm extremely excited. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually am. That's, that's quite an honor, and uh, I, you know, definitely didn't think we'd make it this far. You did when you thought we'd done it, like, 40 tops, 45 maybe. Uh, like, 12? I don't know. One year? One year of shows? Pilot episode, never got picked up. Yeah. Well, I always thought that during the beginning, and I think on some of the earlier episodes, we would uh, kind of joke around about, we'll see how long this goes and all this stuff, but it's actually surprised by, you know, we've talked about the great uh, response we get when we're out and about. People are very complimentary about the show, and we thank you guys a lot for that, but I guess that that part of it uh, really got some legs. Like, people were... I've had a lot of people legitimately concerned that we were going to end the show like sometime soon like you weren't serious about ending the show and that well at first i felt bad i yeah. was like oh no no like i love doing the show i know you know you enjoy it scott love having the guests on uh, i think it's great so you know no end in sight from although i sound near death uh <laughs> no end in sight uh from my view so we appreciate your guys support through 50 episodes to to all you listeners and and sponsors and and those who leave feedback to us on iTunes. That's called a transition. Indeed, and I'm you know I'm going to drop you in in post doing a jingle from the last show. You kind of went like dun, 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 dun. you did like a like a theme for what the intro should be for review of the week. So I'm going to drop it in. It's going to sound really funny. Oh, so I look feel free to, to laugh it. like look, you're hearing it in real time. I look for it. Oh, right here. Uh-huh. Review of the week. Okay, this review is from Alex Hazen, and I'm just going to blow some smoke up your ass, Jay. Uh, Super informative, funny, easy to understand, and well-produced podcast about all things sour beer. I love that it isn't four hours long, and yet packs a lot of good information into a single hour-long episode. Uh, By the way, did a blind apricot beer taste... 
uh, beer tasting with another guy. And we had Map of the Sun Batch 2, Veritas 15, Fufun, West Ashley, and Orion Lure. Where's Orion? That's Jester King, right? Ah, okay. Uh, we both decided Map of the Sun was the best, so job well done. My first rare barrel beer, and you hit it out of the park. Cheers. How about that? There that's you go. Pretty good. And that's a three-star review, inexplicably. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all five. So thanks, Alex, and thanks to everyone for the uh, awesome reviews. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Yeah, enough enough smoke blowing. I want to quickly mention that we're going to be doing some questions during the show tonight. But one of our great sponsors, SourBeerBlog.com, mm-hmm. sponsors all the questions on this show, has a great new article that Stefan reminded me about uh, before the show. A new Jester King interview. I think they review their new uh, Method Goose Beer Spawn on there. So definitely check out Dr. Lambic's site there, SourBeerBlog.com, and also the last article on the Sour Beer Brew Day with a lot of his own recipes are, is, is excellent as well. Okay, let's go around the room, see who's here. We can, we can pass the mics and just, I guess, briefly state your name, title, and maybe just how long you've been at the Rare Barrel. And then later on in the show, it'll just be a little easier to keep track of all the, all the different voices. I don't expect you guys to kind of, you know, state your name each time but it, it does help you know listening later it I, definitely does i listen back to the to last year's show and it's like oh yeah you know this is this is mike talking again and it's, then you just launch into whatever so let's get a quick intro of you guys and it also will allow me to stop talking for a couple of minutes <laughs> let's start here my name is sean i'm uh one of the seller pers- people here at the rare barrel and i've been here for seven months now uh yeah i'm logan i've been at the rare barrel for 10 months now what do you do there, Logan? I'm a PA. What does that stand for? <laughs> Production assistant. There you go. Nice. Uh, I'm Mike. I'm the seller manager. I've been there for, it'll be two years in like two days or something like that. So a little under two years. Mike's one of the returning voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name's Tommy. This is uh, day 322 for me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you like scratching it in shock on the wall each day? And I am uh, production assistant number two. And you'll remember Tommy from last time. He was in production for, what, less than a week? Oh, yeah. you just That's right. Uh, Hi. uh, My name is Jenna. I am the new uh, QA, QC manager at the Rare Barrel, and I've been there since October. So it's still pretty new. Uh, My name is Rob. Uh, I am the other seller person, the other seller dweller, if you will, and uh, slash, big slash, and a packaging assistant, or a packaging specialist, sorry. Specialist. All down Much better if you want. <laughs> and then we have hashtag over here. Bring back Stefan. Hi, this is Stefan. Oh, hey, turn the button. Oh, wait. There you go. Now. There now you something. go. Stefan, inventory coordinator, been here for two and a half years. Welcome back, dude. Thank you. Another returning voice. <laughs> uh, my name's Aaron. I'm the R&D coordinator, and I've been here as long as Stefan has since <laughs> August 2014. The final returning voice, right? The final returning yeah. voice. And that's the crew. Thank you guys for, for coming out on a rainy night. What else do we have at the top, Scott? I guess, oh, one. I have maybe one more uh, quick update on the, hashtag, speaking of hashtags, hashtag Sour Collab, the Rare Barrel and Yazoo Brewing mm-hmm. uh, collab, open source collaboration. We've been doing a lot of google forms which these guys are all you know very familiar with we use them at the rare barrel uh, quite a bit and it's been a lot of fun still in the information collecting phase but we've got a lot of good responses and people talking about now different styles that we may uh make for this beer and we're just about ready to get into kind of questions on preferences for these styles so so far we've asked you know what kind of sour beers do you like to make drink how do you make them if you do kind of thing and then took all those responses and looked at what the most popular ones were and then asked still broad questions but about those specific styles so okay so you guys like saison what do you like about saison and then you get the characteristics from that you like um spontaneous beer or Ubrun flanders red type beer or kettle soured beer what do you like about each of these things and that's gonna start to feed into okay well, now, how do we construct a recipe based off of these kind of top-level thoughts? This is what you like about the beer. How do we kind of trickle that down? And this is something we do, you know, at the Rare Barrel from time to time. We like to not just blend beers that we have made in the cellar that have different fermentation characteristics, but sometimes we try to attempt to 
build these beers from the base up. So I guess we're trying to steal from what we do at the Rare Barrel, what Brandon's been doing uh, with Embrace the Funk, Yazoo, for a long time, and just try to apply that to this project as well. But still going along with that. Happy to continue to update you guys. But I think the updates are going to come a lot more fast and furious over the next uh, couple months. And maybe, I don't know, maybe one thing I'll just mention for kind of just show housekeeping. I believe we're going to record, and Scott, we're just discussing this now for the first time. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Standard. <laughs> we're going to record, I think, three shows in February. Yeah, during well, because all sorts of brewers come into town for San Francisco Beer Week. So right. we'd be remiss if we didn't try to, you know, pile them all into the studio. So I think what we're going to do is... Uh, you know, we'll have our one of those shows will be a February show, one will be a March, and then one will be in April. Does that sound about right? It'll, yeah, we'll still be on the same schedule of two shows per month. Mm-hmm. So you'll get two this month, January. You get two in February. You get two in March. But when we record them, might be concentrated on Beer Week. Yeah, and yeah. we won't have as many witty topical references. It'll just be all <laughs> yeah. squeezed into February. Right. Yeah. Hey, so. you know what? We'll do some timeless shows. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, this one will be right up there. <laughs> Do you have any? I have a question about you and Brandon. Do you guys have anything Mm -hmm. that you have figured out that you maybe not like fundamentally disagree on, but your style is very different than his in this one area that might cause trouble when the actual brewing takes place or or blending? Yeah, speaking style. (laughs) He's got, you know, a southern accent. Uh Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I think that's that's what uh, we really love about the collabs we've been able to do at the Rare Barrel so far is that it always starts out. you know, it's like the best relationships start as friends first kind of thing. Uh-huh. So that's what we've been doing. And it's like more than finding somewhat like finding a fit in the industry, like, oh, these are two breweries that people would like to see collaborate. It's more just like, do you want to spend time with either this person or this brewery? So uh, we love spending time with uh, with Brandon. And I knew he would be specifically passionate about uh, this project and when we started to talk about it, it it was kind of just, we were instantly on the same page about it. So it's been a lot of fun so far. But, you know, a lot of this is going to be prep work. And the fun part is is still still yet to come. Excited about that. You want to do a uh, listener question before we grab a break to go get some beer here? Yeah, let's ask ask these guys so I can, again, stop talking. Oh, okay, yeah. So you guys that's can the, that's, tackle By this. the way, we're probably going to do, you know, what that uh, listener said, you know, oh, it's a great hour. You know, it's not too much. It's mm-hmm. not four hours. Right. But we're going to be here, to, like you guys, yeah. all you in the studio. We're going to be here for like three and a half hours tonight. So oh, I have to work tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's the segment I talk the most in. It's funny. These guys are all sitting here with they no headsets to... on and about 25 feet away from the mic. So yeah. maybe we need to get them a this little looped up here. This is exactly how beers. it started last year. Yeah, you're right. And we had no problem by segment three. That is true. Although but I do... want you to step it up. We do not have plenty on right now. Uh, no, but, but there are have, other choices. But we have a tab open, and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, this is a question from <laughs> from Sam Bates. Sam says, Jay, it was great to meet you th- uh, Thursday. I guess he came into the Rare Barrel. An opportunity to taste through all the Rare Barrel beers. Sounds like he had a good time. I'm never disappointed when I make the trip from Nebraska. He says, I have a question that I know you've answered on the podcast before, but I can't seem to remember when you spoke about it. So here goes. For primary fermentation, do you only pitch a lacto and brett strain into your barrels? Do you, do you eventually pitch a blend of PDO and or other bacteria or let Lacto and Brett do all the work? Stefan. Give them what they want. <laughs> There's not any one specific answer to that question. It just depends on what, what we've decided we needed. At this point, we meet you know, several times a week to, dis- to discuss what, you know, what's missing in our cellar so we have a balance to pull from for blending. So I will say at this point we're not really – there's not much of any bacteria in our primary fermentations, except unless we're repitching on a mixed culture, but that's become fewer and far between lately. I think in the beginning, Brett Lacto primary fermentations yielded favorable results, and we were inclined to make um, a lot of that beer. It was clean. It actually seemed to top out when it comes to acidity, as like not get too sour. But then that that changed pretty dramatically over time. And then we also had trouble, even when we wanted to restart that mixed fermentation, the Brett Lacto. The Brett Dre that we were using just either wouldn't get going or threw off some cheesy isovaleric acid, all sorts of issues. So that really sped up our departure from using that fermentation. 
I think, you know, one, and we've talked about this before, one thing that's a little bit unfortunate about kind of like the serial nature of podcasts is that we do get a lot of questions from the beginning of the show. And we may have been doing, you know, something at the rare barrel that I talked about in the first show, second show, something like that. Yeah. And I guess looking back, I wish I would have done a better job to say how, you know, experimental we are and how things shift all the time. But it's something we get, I probably get this question, you know, more than a lot of others is that, hey, your house culture is Brett Lacto or, you know, what are you guys doing with Brett Lacto now? And it's not, I guess, I mean, we really don't do anything with Brett Lacto right now. Let me uh, read the last part of his email and okay. see if it bounces it off you. He says, the reason I ask uh, is that I'm looking to do a Solera in a neutral wine barrel, and I'm wanting to follow a method similar to yours, or maybe a method similar to what yours used to be. I have many sours going uh, where I used a method similar to Russian River, where I pitched a clean strain and then added a bug blend for souring. He says, I've also used ECY Bug Farm and Bug County Mixed Cultures. I'm looking to broaden my sour portfolio, so I wanted to clarify before diving too deep into a disaster. Just to follow up on kind of what Jay and Stefan said and to kind of address the end of this question, uh, we do, like, our, our primary fermentation is sack and brett, typically, and then it's followed up with bacteria at some point. Right that, now. Right now. Right <laughs> now. Yeah. that's Don't want to make the same mistake twice. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, currently, this is what we're playing around with. Yeah, there is bacteria that gets in there at some point or another from some source or another, whether that's a mixed culture or it's just coming residual from a barrel. And just a self-shaming plug, but I did just write a blog post on this on our website, so you can find a little bit more about the various stages that we've gone through thinking about fermentation, and then um, just a little bit more about fermentation in general on our a recent blog post. TheRareBarrel dot com slash blog. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Sean here chiming in. It depends on what you want to do with the Solera as well. If you are interested in getting something that is particularly sour to start off with, and yeah, get some bacteria in there from the start. And then if you realize that, hey, it's getting a little too sour, you know, look at different hopping rates, look at doing, you know, Brett Sack or Sack only primary, and then pitching that in so there's less for, you know, Lactobacillus and Pediococcus to kind of chew on and really just turn a lot, turn out a lot of acid as well. So it's a Solera. Have fun with it. Like, enjoy it. Definitely. That's good advice. You know, you want to think about the different factors that are in play and which ones are going to encourage acid and which ones are going to discourage acid. That's probably the number one thing to balance over time in your Solera. But just know all the tools you have. So, I mean, Sean just listed a few right there. The other one is, you know, volume. You know, I think traditional uses of Solera in either wine or spirits are, the percentages are dictated, like there are standards uh, for percentages of liquid you extract and replace but in beer it's like you know there's no right or wrong it's another thing you can go up and down on like uh you could you know move up your hopping rate put down your hopping rate mash temperatures fermentation temperatures primary fermentation strains how much bacteria how much yeast you have in there just all sorts of fun stuff to play with when you have a solera going but i think it's a great idea for for home sour beer makers for sure all right Mercifully, you guys, we're <laughs> going to take a break. Poor Jay. going to pop in the old uh, chloroseptic, and we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. With over 20 years of experience making world-class craft beer and more than 100 gold medals in international competitions, Moylan's Brewing Company is not just a pretty face in craft beer. Just ask Brendan Moylan. What do we got here? The beer of the hour. Moylan's, got to love that big M. It's like a sign of awesomeness. It's got an extra kick to it. Let's pour this bad boy. Oh, Easy oh yeah. Oh, Moylan's. At the end of the night when the kids are finally in bed, the wife's in bed, <laughs> nobody's bothering your ass anymore. That's Moylan's time. Moylan's is for you. Yeah! It's to help you out. Yeah. It helps me out. What? Well, because it's freaking awesome. Northern California brewed. It's brewed with love. With love? Oh, yeah. Tremendous. And it's always best where? Moylan's. got to try it on tap at Moylan's. In Novato. They're friggin' awesome. Not only because I own the brewery, because I love the beer. Cheers! Boom! Kilt Lifter Scotch Ale takes big beers to a whole new level with rich malt balanced perfectly with delicate hops and now comes in four-pack tall boy cans so you can take the party on the go. Or come to the brewery, take a tour, and try any of Moylan's fresh creations right from the source. Check them out at Moylan's.com. 
This is Walt from Wicked Weed. I'm very hungover right now, and this is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. episode of the Sour Hour. It's a big deal. Man, feels like just about like 150 or so. Yeah, it, it, it's this, <laughs> at the same time, it feels, I think I've said this before, it feels like a lot and a little. Yeah. Like just started, but we've been doing it forever at the same time kind of thing. Yeah. Like, what have you been talking for, like, two and a half hours now, three hours by now? Uh, my throat feels like that. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, Logan said he had something very important to say before we get back into the beer talk. Oh, a contribution from Logan. Yeah, I was just wondering if, uh, Jay, if you ever heard of Wine and Hop Shop. No, tell me all about it, Logan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they now carry uh, Omega yeast and Giga yeast. Most items will ship Mm. within 24 hours. And best of all, BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate Uh on orders under 50 pounds. Awesome. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field. On the sh- of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. Where do I go to get this deal? The wine and hop shop dot com. Wine and hop. Uh, wine. And- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wine and hop dot com. Wine and hop dot com. That that is excellent. One more uh, note from one of our great sponsors here. Oh uh, hey, Beef. Beef <laughs> just walked back in. This is what the AHA oh, yeah. copy printed out on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Beef <laughs> left a bunch of checks in the printer, so. <laughs> so I'll try and get through that. Uh, hop grenade. L- oh no, sorry. Uh, AHA. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, Jay. Have you seen what the free Goo Brew Guru app can do for you? <laughs> have I seen it? Yeah, have you seen I haven't it? left. I haven't put my phone down in, in a week. Right. Is really it on airplane mode? We're recording a podcast. <laughs> it's built for home brewers and beer lovers. Brew Guru delivers sage brewing knowledge and money, sa- money saving deals at breweries, beer bars, and homebrew supply shop. You guys know about this. I've talked about this before. It's actually pretty cool. I mean, it's the AHA's app. You know, it's kind of the best resource for. Homebrew recipes, you know, when you're, I, I mentioned this scenario, you're out in the garage, you forgot the recipe, you don't have your computer, you don't have a printout, you just load up your brew, brew guru, guru, and you're all set. So search for it, get the app today, follow the path to Beery Enlightenment. It's free for iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Brew Guru. What can Brew Guru do, do for, for you? you? Brew Guru. Okay. Well, we got a desk full of beers. This is great. Hey, tap, look, tap Scott. beers, bottle beers. Yeah, Jay. I, well, I forgot. I just forgot your name without the paper, so oh. I needed it back. You forget okay. your own name half the time. Yeah, that's true. I'm Jay Goodwin. I'm I'm your host, Jay. Oh, thank you. We're passing out some beers. Uh, Aaron, what are you pouring over there? Or Stefan, maybe. What's Aaron pouring over there? Uh, <laughs> Calabaza de Boreal. Who right. makes that? Jolly Pumpkin, Anchorage, Collaboration, the Jolly Pumpkin version of the Collaboration. Ooh, very nice. Very wow. nice. The, That's it's good. <laughs> what was it? I didn't hear that. You clicked uh, that out already? The, uh, uh. <laughs> Are you trying to say, uh, over they your, They don't have their uh? headsets on. They can't hear uh, it. I can hear it. I have my headset on. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Excellent. Okay. The, the, the seal is breaking now. Let's, uh, let's get some softball questions, maybe. And uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm you listening. Question. Yeah. All right. Let's go for. Thank you very much. I just got handed a beer. This is a question from Dave Cantrell. Dave says, uh, "Hey Jay, I hope the weather is a lot warmer in Berkeley than it is here in Wheeling, West Virginia." He says it's currently 25 degrees. Yeah, it is. Anyways, uh, the reason I'm emailing you is because I plan on brewing a golden sour based off your recommendations on the sour hour. I need some guidance with the yeast. Uh, the recipe I am brewing calls for omega 605 lactobacillus blend and omega 210 Brett blend. My question is, how big of a starter, uh, and do I pitch them both at the same time, uh, or does one go in later? If so, what order? Who wants this one? Logan, get it. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways about or that you can go about doing it. It depends on, I guess, how sour you want it to be. If you want to just age it for a long time and maybe slower sour it, maybe pitch them both at the same time. Or you could potentially do multiple starters and grow it up, and the bacteria will probably really pick up with that, and you'll sour a lot faster. Did you, did you say what the volume of the batch is? 
No, he didn't mention this, the batch size, unfortunately. So what do you guys think when it comes to kind of propping up small pitches like that for, let's just assume, five gallons? How much do you need? Definitely varies lab to lab. With Brett, I mean, Jenna, I, I don't know. I'll just stop. <laughs> nobody, I'm not a microbiologist. Nobody, I mean, at home, I've done, you know, I'll go anecdotal, and then you can actually tell them what to do. Does that sound good? All right. I mean, in the past, I've gotten, like, vials of Brett and done, like, a 250 ml starter of wort on a stir plate for six days, poured that whole thing into, like, a liter and a half to two liters and stirred that for another week and then pitched that into primary fermentation, and that's, like, Brett only, and I've done the same thing with Brett and Lacto. The Lacto, again, depending on the lab. With Omega Yeast, that Lacto blend, I've had really good success with doing, like, a one-liter starter for a couple of days. And, no, no stir plate on the on the Lacto. No, I didn't stir it. Should I have? Sci- I got three scientists next to me just, like, <laughs> shaking their heads. Like, what an idiot. <laughs> um, but, no, yeah. And, you know, depending on the hopping rate, there's so many things, like Logan said, Brett lacto fermentation, regardless of the blend. I mean, in terms, you know, it's, is that going to be clean? Is the pH going to drop quicker? What are you going for? If you want bread expression, you think about doing a sack and bread first, and then add in the lacto closer to terminal. That's the anecdotal stuff. Jenna, why don't you drop some micro on them? So uh, most of the time, when you're getting like a homebrew pitch, it comes kind of already with the right populations for a five-gallon batch. Um, I don't know where you're getting your yeast and your blends from, but I get really nervous when you do a starter for longer than just rehydrating if you're doing a dry starter because as soon as you put your yeast and your your blends into wort, the populations change. So on a stir plate or in a flask with a small amount of wort, it's... It's going to encourage different types of things to grow faster than if you just pitch it directly into your batch. So you could definitely get like high performance rates just by direct pitching. Consistency-wise, I think it's harder with a starter. But yeah, what, what Mike said on your procedure for starters is pretty similar. So Yeah, I think you know, this gets into the challenge of making sour beer as a, as a home brewer because you don't have a lot of vessels. So a lot of these conversations happen in the context of, you know, I've got one shot at this, you know, on the the day of the brew. So on brew day, you have to make all these hot side decisions, primary fermentation decisions that are going to really affect how the beer comes out. But honestly, if you had the ability to split those batches into two or four or more, um, you know, you could just blend uh, a component that favored the bacteria favored acid production and basically built in kind of a bunch of different blending options instead of trying to go, you know, one five gallon batch and hopefully it all turns out well. Um, and that more closely mirrors kind of the stuff that we do at the rare barrel. Even when we make a, you know, 30 barrel batch of something, we'll bring in our gold recipe and then we'll go through our, you know, total mess of a decision tree when it comes to, you know, what, what that's going to be. So I'll just give an example. You know, let's say we're doing a 30-barrel batch of gold fermented uh, with, in primary with Saison yeast. A typical—we we have all these different things, these options we can do. We can add bread or bacteria to the tank. We can add bread, I should say, and or bacteria— um, on the way into oak barrels. So that could be either into unrinsed oak barrels. So the yeast and bacteria slurry is left from the previous beer. Um, we could lightly rinse those barrels. We've seen that that, you know, if we just use cold water or even sometimes, unfortunately, when we use our full barrel cleaning mechanisms, there's still some areas that don't get fully clean. So that can transfer over smaller populations of bread or bacteria to the batches and then we can also do uh, barrel topping or inoculation and that opens up kind of the the timing on when you add either bread or bacteria so obviously adding bread or bacteria into your primary fermentation vessel which i just referred to as the tank that locks it in as part of the beer and a part of the entire volume of the beer for the rest of its time aging the same thing happens when you go from your primary fermentation vessel to whatever you're going to age it in long term for us that's oak barrels if on the way to the if the oak barrel is already inoculated and you want it to be that way you know you're making the decision at two to four weeks 
that's going to start to influence the beer. But if you skip both of those steps and then you let the beer age longer, you have the option of phasing in or determining your own timing on when to add bread or bacteria. Now, if you are going to age a beer, I would recommend adding bread up front because that's going to protect it uh, over time, over a long aging. But those are the decisions we we try to think about when we make our beers. But, you know, if that sounded complicated, I guess all you have to do is multiply it by how many bread strains do we have in-house? How many mixed bread strains do we have in-house? How many mixed bread and bacteria strains do we have in-house? Plus every oak barrel we have can be an inoculant. So it gets... Um, it, it can get a little wordy when we try to narrow down on what exactly to do, but it's good because, you know, we have a thousand options and we all really want the beer to turn out its best. So, but it's a lot of fun to talk about along the way. For sure. And uh, just a, a PS on uh, Dave's email here. He says he just had your forces unseen for the first time. Delicious with three exclamation points. Um, so good on you there for that beer. And thanks for the email, Great. Dave. Let's go to a question from Simon who says, uh, I've been recently listening to the shows from episode one, enjoying it. Uh, I work for a brewery in Indiana from Ireland by way of Fairfield, California. Uh, he has a few questions. Let's just start with the first one. We just tasted some barrels that have been aging since last November. They taste great. Uh, we've been getting minimal blending stock, but I think uh, these four barrels will make a good beer. We plan on adding fruit and racking these into stainless. He says, I've heard Jay say on the show before that they normally add fruit between four and eight months into fermentation. Will adding it at a later stage make much of a difference? Let's start there. Anyone want to comment on that? Adding fruit later after more aging? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a real one. Was that real? Uh, that was real. Wow. I mean, I think in our experience, the only reason why we would... That the reason not to do that would be if it was too young, just, you know, if the beer is just isn't ready for whatever reason, and then you wait and wait, fruit character falls off. Besides that, Logan. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we've seen with older beers um, and, and fruit re-fermentation is when they get older, a lot of the population that's still alive in the beer is the bacteria. So one thing that we've started doing, I guess, in the past, you know, half a year has been to repitch a little bit of uh, young beer, kind of like krausening it to kind of cause a quick yeast refermentation so you don't get out of control bacteria, which could pop up other, you know, off flavors like diacetyl. Because, yeah, he does actually say here, he says, should we blend down the acidity before racking to fruit to compensate for an additional drop in pH brought on by that refermentation? Yeah, I think that's what Logan's referring to. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think some of the... The refermentation that you kind of just count on, oh, I'm going to add fruit to this, it's going to referment, it's going to be great. Then I'll bottle it, it'll referment in the bottle, that'll be great. That's not a given, as we've certainly found. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do by adding uh, young beer or young fermenting beer at the time of, uh, of fruiting, and I think that's at about a 5% rate by total volume. Mike, does that sound correct? That sounds right to me, Jay. Thanks, Mike. Good job. <laughs> You know, that's that's adding quite a bit of active, healthy, young, and a large volume of yeast. That's going to help you referment. And as you add the volume, too, you know, you're going to raise the pH of the beer, lower the acidity, and that's going to help you out quite a bit in, in a multitude of ways. You want the young the young yeast to help with the refermentation, um, but you also want want that beer to uh, make it a less as acidic environment. So uh, that can be very helpful. Depends on the fruit, too. Definitely depends on the fruit. Things can vary. Acid levels can definitely vary fruit for fruit. For fruit. He kind of asked about age as well. I don't know if anyone oh, yeah. touched on that. That's what I was going to say something about. You know, uh, as a production brewery, you know, Stefan is correct that beers need to age longer if they're just too young, if there's a rough edge, if there's an off flavor, whatever it's going to be. But there can be some, a virtue to aging much longer to create flavors that don't get created in four months or eight months. That's something we're striving, a point we're striving to get to. You know, a lot of our, as a, as a pro brewery, a lot of our stock, unfortunately, has to be released for sale. Um, <laughs> I know, it yeah. sucks. <laughs> I think if, if we had our choice, you know, we'd we'd age you know, a bunch of different beers quite a bit longer. The fact is you can age them longer in the bottle, but you know, we're, we're starting to try and 
build in a little more of a buffer so we can do some more long-term aging projects. But that that's a reason to go longer. But at the same time, you have to look out for off flavors that develop with more age, like uh, increased acetic acid production, which you know kind of usually happens at the same time as increased ethyl acetate. So that's, again, vinegar taste and kind of nail polish smell that could happen over time. There are ways to combat that. You can top off your barrels. You can blend them back into stainless with younger beer and then put them back into oak barrels, which is essentially the same thing. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to leave a couple barrels out of your blend and see how they age uh, much longer. That's something we've, I think, just started to do. There's some young beer experiments that we really like, but we've uh, blended it into some fruit beers. But we'll leave a couple barrels out or something like that just to see, oh, here's what would have happened if we let them age longer. So we can still learn from those data points, but still keep the doors open. I have a question before we get to another listener question for the crew here. We've talked a lot on this show about the uh, levels of acidity in rare barrel beers kind of creeping up over time and that there's been a move in some blends to kind of tamp that down a little bit as, as your, um, your bugs and stuff have gotten kind of too powerful for their own good. So in working there, do you find that your palates kind of get acclimated to the acidity such that you are having a hard time determining what's too much acidity for, like, you know, the general public? I think what I've found is that there's a range across our panel. And, I mean, Jenna can definitely step in here afterwards because we're, as, you know, we've tasted together for a long time, but, you know, we're a relatively untrained panel from the standpoint of somebody coming from a QAQC background. But a lot of us have have been drinking across our cellar for a long time, and uh, some of us, myself included, tend to have, I think, be more inclined to swing a little towards the more sour side, whereas others of us, uh, Stefan, for instance, uh, which is fine. I mean, I, we need each other, I kind of feel like. But, uh, that's right, buddy. That's right. That's but um, uh, Stefan is definitely more inclined to blend softer beers and blend more towards a middle-of-the-road path. And I think, you know, what we've kind of discovered at our brewery is we need both we need both types, but also acidity isn't the only thing that we're going for. We're kind of more inclined to pay attention to, um, you know, nuanced flavors, aromatics, things like that. And we're brewing more towards those targets at this point. Gotcha. And then, uh, Jenna, you said you come from the QC background. So how did, what are you doing? And QA. And, okay. Yeah. And so, well, what, what advice would you, would you give people like that guy who has his own sort of sour blendery home blendery and maybe his, you know, he, he's having a hard time because yeah, I would imagine over time you prefer more and more sour and sour beers. I think that's like a general rule, not for everybody, but what about that guy who's still trying to please his friends and his wife or whatever, and he wants to keep his palate sort of neutral. I actually, before working here, just kind of wanted the most sour, the craziest ingredients, the weirdest secondary additions, and have kind of the beers I like of ours the most are kind of the more mild, the ones, you know, just forces, the ones that don't have like a ton of fruit in them because I'm I'm starting to uh, appreciate all the, what the bugs are doing. And I come from a microbiology background, so that's great for me and i think it's really important to like have as many people taste as possible because like aaron said we do need each other in the fact that we have a wide range of people who can pick up certain off flavors people who uh prefer you know double the amount of fruit addition as other people (laughs) and everyone's pointing pointing at tommy tommy big fruit guy so (laughs) And, uh, like, I'm really sensitive to vanilla, so when we were blending our holiday beer, it was really hard for me to, like, I kept calling them to stop, and it was just outvoted. Mm -hmm. So we really kind of rely on each other for that. And so if somebody has their home brewing, you know, and they're souring something, you know, that's that's always going to be a cutoff for people sooner rather than later. And, you know, brew what you want to drink. Like, please your wife, fine, but please yourself, too. There you go. Good yeah. advice. I got a little, I kind of want to let uh, Rob and Tommy both used to work in the tasting room. And I think one of the things we all noticed is, like, you have an asi- a, a shift in acidity. We've talked about it. That's a good question. But, I mean, maybe an interesting 
piece. If you guys remember back to your time, I know it's been years now, but like the customers, people, you know, I mean, it's been months, like, you know, maybe <laughs> almost 12 of them. I mean, like, did you guys hear, was there, were people, were other people commenting on it, picking up on it? Was it, you know, similar beers or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I'd say that uh, people definitely commented on the uh, increasing acidity in a lot of our beers. Newcomers definitely enjoyed it because of that impact flavor that it had. Uh, but over time, people look for a little bit more depth of flavor, I guess, and that huge, like, lactic bite that you got. So, yeah, I guess it varies on personal taste, obviously. But I haven't been in the tasting room a little bit longer than Tommy, uh, so it's been a bit longer. But uh, back when I was in the tasting room... I feel like I did see a brief moment where people were coming in and they wanted the biggest and the sourest and the craziest beer, kind of like the, the hop craze that went through of exactly. IBUs and that kind of stuff. And about after the time I left and moved into production, you know, beers got a little bit sour and people kind of started reeling a little bit quicker, a little bit more so than like the IPA kind of bitterness war, as I kind of call it, from a few years ago. So I feel like people are kind of coming back to a more balanced point of view on sours yeah, i think that's spot on and you know one thing ideally what we'd like to do is have our range of lightly tart to maybe you know medium plus a little more aggressive acid but to be able to match those levels of acidity with different brands that can support them or that are ideally suited for them so if we're going to have a beer that's you know our most sour beer on tap What's the brand or the combination of ingredients that are best suited to support that versus, okay, what kind of beers would we like to have that are lightly tart and then have a nice range in the middle? I think that's the best thing for us to set the tasting room up for success because we take it seriously that people come in there and try their first sour beers there. And it's like, you know, there's plenty of people who come in and they want to be eased into it. But then, like you were saying, Tommy, you know, some people want to be hit over the head and we want to be able to do both. But not because the yeast and bacteria are dictating what we do. And so big challenge for us over the first few years has just been to develop all the tools to be able to do all that stuff and not be kind of have the have the seller balance dictate what we're doing. Which, you know, I think that, that led to a little bit of drift to to more acid. And just one one other thing I'll say on that is the people who are in the room now, uh, excluding you, Scott mm-hmm. and myself, uh, are the ones who blend the beer at the rare barrel you know these uh eight people who are here they do the tastings they make the decisions and they're doing great things i think our beer right now uh it's it's hard because it's not out yet but the beer we have in barrels right now is you know if i could take a slice of this and compare it to a slice of our beer at any other point i think it's the best beer we've had yet so i'm really excited for the next year of beers that we're going to roll out awesome me too you guys excited yeah yeah, yeah. i am excited okay. i can't read what you wrote here Jay. i'm not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah we're all pumped i mean i know we got a next round might be coffee <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is you know you it's it's been two years for the people that have worked here your first few hires and it takes that long in sour beer i think people forget how like you do one thing, you have a small data point, and you kind of, whether you know it or not, you're putting your eggs into one basket via a process, or you're committing to a yeast and bacteria that you think you like, and next thing you know, you've got, you know, Jay, something that a word was probably eight months to eight months to a year ago, we started talking about the seller balance, and we didn't do a lot of, like, brewing for components we got, early on. We got rid of Pendulum. Yeah. The pen- and replaced it Pendulum, with you seller try. balance. You push Pendulum hard, but... Yeah. That's good. It sounds good. It's just too wordy. It's okay. It's less wordy. It's, it's less wordy, actually, but continue. <laughs> is it? It's one word except for oh. instead of two. So. Yeah. But keep going. Sorry. Syl- syllabless? Syl- <laughs> syllabic? Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of – and it's funny. You talk about – you asked us at the top of the show, oh, the Brett Lacto, we don't do that anymore. Talk to us January 4th. Today's the 4th. 4th, 2018. We're all we love Brett Lacto again. <laughs> we ozoned and steamed our barrels, and we had no acidity. We went back to clean. You know, we had to blend with all those really bready, estery, you know, phenolic beers. So it's just the biggest thing is, and it's so hard to give a straight answer to these questions because it's like, yeah, but so <laughs> it's there's so many factors, and that's I guess the the frustrations and 
the beautiful thing about and we're being... constantly learning about this stuff too. exactly yeah, exactly. yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure we're all curious uh home brewers and we get to play at work too so and yeah. we get to play with well can you edit this out? We get to play yeah. with each other at work. Yeah. <laughs> we get to play yeah. with each other at work. We get to play yeah. with each other at work. So the idea from last year that's the not getting edited do out. Kind of, um, <laughs> do kind of, you know, somebody will come in and say, hey, this is what I'm doing in my home brewery. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Oh, we should totally try that. So techniques, you know, we're constantly learning new techniques and then, you know, trying to push them through the rare barrel too, so. A decades-long experiment, a wise, yep. a wise man's once said. Mm-hmm. Alex that, Walsh. Yeah, that. Alex. <laughs> man, Alex full of gems. <laughs> on that note, let's take a break. We'll be right back on... The Sour Hour. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and eZymergy. For tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love. And access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. Sour Hour, the Rare Barrel Crew in studio. TRB. A lot of empty and full glasses on the table. That's for sure. <laughs> Lots of good beers, bottles, and for you, uh, for you listeners who are wrapping up this, uh, the first part or this first episode, we're going to come back and everyone's going to be out of <laughs> the control. Second show for the second show will be yeah, really great. <laughs> um, before we dive back into all the good beer talk, we have a couple more sponsors to thank. And uh, Aaron wanted to thank one in particular. I wanted to give a shout-out to the Chris's up at uh, Oregon Fruit. I work with the Chris's directly, and they do some great customer support up there and uh, answer a ton of questions that I send their way, some of which are require research, and they certainly come back with that. That's yeah. uh, Oregon Fruit Products. They make aseptic purees easy to use and convenient to store with no additives or artificial flavors. Simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers and help all of us innovate. Check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit, they bring fruit to life. To life. You, to can life. Get, you can get in on I it wanna... as a home brewer. Do what the pros do. <laughs> mm-hmm. OFP. I want to give them a plus one for the online store as well. Oh, and no one, Jay did not tell me to write this or anything. I do a lot of the fruit ordering. It's so easy to use those guys. I go online. I'm on. I got the Google right in front of me. Add as, you know, it's just... It's great. Oh, shoot. Well said. Thank you. I they all scripted ad lib. They're also uh, coming out with new products all the all time. All the time. All, all the time. All the time. And they're all delicious. I wanted to know what their pasteurization points were for each of their individual fruits, and they just sent me a spreadsheet, and it was awesome. Look at that. Boom. Full of info. The Chris's, I'm telling you. They're, when, they, when they say the best. they love to help brewers, you know, they're not joking around. Yeah. So they're a great sponsor, and we're very happy to have them. Just like we're happy to have this. I did. Um, it's a home or commercial use water testing kit which incorporates a revolutionary photometer which is the first and only on the market with its own app the iDip iDip can perform over 40 different water quality tests for things like chloride calcium hardness pH sulfate and much more Podcast listeners should enter code TBN10 at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit www.smartbrewkit.com. 
Nice. Very well done. Hey, why, why have we not brought Stefan on as a, just a co-host on this show? <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking... Good question. <laughs> people were making uh, Anchorman jokes. I don't know. I think that was off the air. But I was like, when you're just reading that and you're in... I mean, speaking from your heart, not reading. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was thinking this has been the perfect time to just slip in some like weird phrase in there that they would have just totally read because they're oh, yeah. just like going through it. <laughs> right. But I missed my opportunity. Man. Yeah. I'm off my game. Just one extra bullet point. That's all it would have taken. Yeah. Just a question mark. Oh yeah. A question mark at the end. <laughs> www. Wait. How many is that? www.smartbrookit.com <laughs> Maybe. They bring fruit. No question to mark. Life? To life? <laughs> all right. Editorial note. Let's talk beer. All right. Here's a question from Garrett Kellogg, who says, uh, hey, Moscow and Jay, I've noticed that some of my uh, sour beers and sack bread beers have head retention problems where the foam dissipates super fast, which I hate. We talked about this a couple shows ago, Jay, uh, head mm-hmm. retention on sour beer. I think because whatever we were drinking was a forces blend, I think. I uh, didn't have any in the glass. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Garrett goes on and says, I don't like beer that cannot hold its foam. Uh, it just doesn't look right, plus you don't get the added aroma. Do you encounter this at the rear barrel ever? Yes, he does. I've heard this can be addressed by pre-acidifying your wort post-boil down to about 4.5 to 4.8 pH and then pitching your cultures. I've also seen recommendations of using hexa-iso hop extract. Can you recommend either of these or approaches or a different method uh, for brewing sour beer with better head retention? Yeah, so this is actually a pretty interesting question. I'd recommend checking out Milk the Funk. Milk the Funk has a pretty good um, article on the wiki for lacto, uh, or probably on the kettle souring page. But basically, uh, one big problem is lacto can put out a, an enzyme that degrades protein. So it'll, you'll have a lot of problems with head retention based off of that. But it's also, I mean, one thing that helps head retention is hops. So and that'll also, I guess delay lacto fermentation so once the ph drops which is what you're talking about with pre-acidifying the word uh once the ph drops which would happen with primary fermentation you would uh stop that enzyme from working so that's one way of uh you know promoting head retention in the beer what about that uh, that product you mentioned hexa iso hop extract it's basically pre-isomerized uh hop extract so you can add it once the beer is finished fermenting and it's very uh i guess helps with head formation more than just normal isomerized uh, alpha acids. And you can use it after you do, for instance, kettle sours. You can add it to the finished product, and it will help with uh, with head retention in that. Hey, Logan, is there anything having to do with uh, rests or anything like that you, can, okay. you might be able to incorporate into sour beer brewing that might aid or, yeah, aid head retention? Yeah, you can do a protein rest, but uh, in general, I, I think most people would recommend against that, especially if you're using malted uh, products. I mean, if you're using, I guess, traditional in uh, Lambic uh, brewing or a lot of Belgian brewing, you use unmalted uh, wheat, for instance. And in that, you would it's recommended to do a protein rest, generally at like 122 Fahrenheit. But uh, if you're using malted products, most people don't do that because you can actually hurt head retention with that. Hi, Logan. Mike from Berkeley here. I have two questions. <laughs> um, so I've heard that the slower drop in pH could potentially aid in head, in head retention as well. Um, that's my first question, if you have anything to comment. Second question, you said to use hops, but my beer is going to be sour. What if it's too bitter? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now with the uh, slower uh, drop in pH, I guess that goes back to basically, um, I mean, the yeast is going to drop it to 4.5 pH automatically just in primary fermentation. So if you have a strong primary fermentation with just Saccharomyces first off or Sac Brett, then you'll get below the point where, uh, I guess, the lacto will degrade the head retention. And then just hops in general, they help in, it's not head formation, but it's head retention that they'll uh, help with. So you'll produce it head in a lot of uh sour beers so like when we pour beers and we have head retention problems that's different from head retention from head formation problems really what people are worried about is the head sticking around on the beer that's driven by hop uh iso alpha acids i say just don't worry about it <laughs> yeah you know just, yeah sour beers don't have great head retention 
Well, what about his his comment about the uh, it affecting the aroma? Like, there's not as much aroma if there's no head there. I think the you know going back to that question that we answered, uh, I think it was on the last show. You know, I mentioned that I just uh, and again humble brag uh, drank the uh, Cantillon Saint Lamb. No, Saint Joa. Sean, can you say that into the microphone? Stiff chin. Yeah, it's a. Uh, pretty sure it's just a dry hopped uh, lambic or goose, and that had formed after the pour, which a lot of our beers do, and then it fizzed out like soda. Plenty of great aromatics in that beer, and tasted good. And you know, it, it is personal preference. I don't want to dismiss that, but you know, I think if you have good air, it, it may be a, a small difference if you have you know a beer that's very ar- positive, has a lot of positive aromatics. You're still going to smell them. Are you going to smell them 1% less, 10% less, 50% less without these head retention steps? I, I, I can't say it for sure. But uh, another great resource, you know, Logan mentioned Milk the Funk to check out a lot of this stuff. But I'll say it again. The the article before the present interview with uh, Jester King, Matt Miller, Dr. Lambic, wrote up uh, an article on the Sour Beer Brew Day. And I would check that out for sure to look at uh, some tips for this. All right, let's do uh, one more question for this show from Christopher Green. Uh, it's a multi-part question, a couple points here. So he says, I'm fermenting my first sour. Your show inspired me to experiment with sours. I've been listening since show one. He says, I went uh, super simple with DME 5050 Pilsner Wheat, the brewed in March of this year. This, this uh, email is from October of 16, so he brewed in March of 16. He says he fermented primary with 001, and then he added Brett Lambic with black cherries for a secondary ferment. He says it has a thin white pellicle and tastes like tart cherries. The only issue is that it's very thin and watery. Is there anything I can do at this point to increase mouthfeel? It's really interesting that it's thin, even though you used extract. So I think one big reason that people switch from extract brewing to all grain brewing is to be able to control the mash profile that the type of uh, the fermentability of the wort that you produce so it, it's possible that you maybe just got a very um fermentable extract because they basically they make they do their mash steps and then i think i don't know the whole process but they basically turn the liquid into powder after that and then you just need to go to boil but my impression was always that extracts usually had basically the equivalent of a high mash temp that you couldn't change. So there's a lot of leftover unfermentable sugars. And if you just brewed it that, I guess, what, what did you say, March? March? Yeah, March 16th. And then he wrote this in October. In October. I mean, I guess it's possible that the Lambicus, the Brett Lambicus, chewed through all the remaining sugars in that time. How to correct it, uh, I'd say package earlier but at this point you can blend I, i'd also just say just because this issue has come up a few times this is not a sour beer that he's describing right so just that's off topic but <laughs> what what do you guys think Where about get the bread <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> be nice mike <laughs> i don't know they make wheat malt extract right yeah. I'm missing parts of the question, yeah, but I'm did. also speculating. Wheat, but that part of the wheat malt extract is base is, malt, yeah, right? exactly. He said 50-50. 50-50 Pilsner wheat. Pilsner wheat, so that mm-hmm. means it's really probably 70% base malt, 30% wheat or something like that. Yeah. I retract my comment. <laughs> okay. Well, he definitely, he says he's very happy with his DME batch results, and he, he doesn't have any interest in going all green. I, um, I really like the, the idea of homebrewers using uh, DME, especially that, just use the wheat malt. I think it's, like, yeah. almost the exact right ratio for, like, the Lambic split, 60-40, something like that. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I, I always thought that was a really good idea to to use DME and make that into sour beer. What are you guys doing over there? You're like having a slap party. Site conversation. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm sorry we interrupted. None of that. None of that stuff on. It wasn't actually a conversation. I don't know. I would say maybe this is not helpful, but... If you were, it depends what your reasons for doing extract are, but if it were me, I don't know, I would try doing, just try do brew in a bag. Brew in a bag doesn't really take much more equipment. It only takes a little bit more time to do mash. You can figure out, I see smirking faces from people who've never attempted a brew in a bag before, (laughs) but, uh, I love it. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't know if this, 
I really, obviously, not knowing any of this person's circumstances, maybe you just really don't have enough time, but I would recommend trying that out next time and really just getting your MASH profile the way you want it to. Cool. I think I think we've had a few offshoots. One thing I want to make sure we do is uh, directly answer his concern, which is the fact that his beer has dried out too much. So he's got, you know, this uh, 001 Brett L uh, beer with tart cherries that's, at the time of writing, six months old, now more like nine. He's probably still let it age. Oh, by the way, the pellicle is not a problem. The the white film, that's that's fine. That's natural. But what are your guys' suggestions on how to build more body into a beer that's already kind of mature? Yeah, I mean, uh, a few things that come to mind. Uh, first off, and one thing that's overlooked a lot is that you can use salts after the brewing, you know, is actually taking place. So if a, if a beer is thinned out too much, it might be worth pulling off, you know, 500 ml of the beer, dosing with a certain amount of calcium and chloride to try and build up a little bit of fullness in the beer. And, I mean, you can do that easily after the fact and dose the beer with that to help, uh, I guess, build out some roundness. Another option is to brew a, um, you know, a sack, sack prep beer or, you know, a mixed fermentation beer and use more say oats or spelt or some type of unmalted grain that would have more i, I mean beta glucans specifically add to a lot of add a lot of body to beer so you can blend that in at a certain proportion hey logan can you steep those malts or can you steep those grains yeah you can you can steep those also especially oats i've seen a lot of people a lot of home brewers posting videos about uh steeping oats potentially even in i mean right before the boil to extract beta-glucans into the wort, and that will uh, increase the body in, in the beer. After all this science, this might sound like a Hail Mary. I would approach it just, you have an, you know, a, a secondary ingredient. First things that come to mind are like, add a little vanilla, you know? <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the tried and true sour beer ticks. I mean, some oak. It depends on the body. Carbonation will, will can help with that as well. If you're a home brewer and you have, I've got three gallons of sour beer, hearing people tell you, oh, just brew 10 more gallons and blend it, you know, it's great. But, yeah, I mean, the salts are a great thing, obviously, but try it. Like, dose it with a little a little vanilla extract. Or, you can add dextrose, too, right? De- dex, like a dex, dextrin. 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 Yeah, like maltodextrin or something, yeah, dissolve yeah. it. Don't add dextrose. Don't add dextrose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, have some fun with it. Add something that, you know, cinnamon or, I don't know, maybe that's not good because it's panic and drying. But, I don't know, that's my first thought was like, oh, add some oak or vanilla. Have some fun with it. I totally Lactose. second oh. the oak thing. Do you? Oh, totally. science? Oak chips. See that? She's a scientist. I've, I've done this with homebrew things that come out too, way too thin. Oak chips in the bottle, they work out great. Yeah, mess around with secondary stuff like ingredients, um, and those can include, you know, more unusual things like salts. Um, you could look for a complementary fruit that uh, is less aggressive. Also, I would say you can play around with carbonation a little bit. I don't know what type of setup you have, but one thing we do is, you know, we'll, we'll every beer we carb goes from, you know, basically zero to fully carb. So we get to taste it along the way. And sometimes the beers taste really good when they're sort of undercarbed almost. So this beer could maybe, I, I don't have a lot of experience with this, like having thin homebrew beers that I want to fix, but not not that I, you know, I just didn't make I didn't make enough batches, I think, to to come to this point. This is but, a little too awesome. Humble brag. <laughs> it's a little anecdotal, yeah, exactly. but uh, beers that we've uh, primaried with O one, I feel have left a little to want after. It tends to be a little little watery, a little bland. Uh, for the beers that we've primary that we ended up throwing bread and lacto in. Um, so maybe go for, you know, something that leaves some esters around, you know, English or Saison strains uh, to primary with. And we've been seeing better results with that. Yes. Let me just ask the, the last part of his question here, uh, which is that, speaking of bottling, he says he will be bottling in about four months, which is oh, probably good. coming up pretty soon Perfect here. Timing. And he says he's uh, wondering the suggestions on uh, carving in the bottle with priming sugars, n- new Brett or, o- o- or new 001. What should he use? Jenna. So uh, we've been experimenting with priming our bottle conditioning yeast with an acidic environment. So adding, I would recommend... 
using kind of whatever you usually use for bottle conditioning and maybe rehydrating it with a little bit of the beer you're working to carbonate with. So this is referring to the terminal acid shock yes. method that we had in the Dr. Matt Bachman episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. If you can add a little bit of the beer you're working to carbonate while you're rehydrating your bottle conditioning yeast before mixing it all together in packaging, uh, still adding your primary or your priming sugar at packaging, uh, you'll get a lot more success in uh, not only a faster carbonation, but just kind of less off flavors and less of a swing of your yeast picking up like the regular primary fermentation kind of flavors that it goes through because it's already done that and kind of worked off those off flavors in your starter. So that's what I'd recommend. I'd recommend sack too, just because it's going to be, the bottle is going to be more like what you taste before bottling if you're using kind of a cleaner yeast in bottle conditioning, unless you want to go something funky. We're also experimenting with that, too. So Yeah, la- Lambic is, is definitely the funkier way to go. I should just remind all of us that, again, we're not talking about a sour beer, so we probably don't have to do as much of the terminal acid shock stuff. The pH may be a little bit lower with tart cherry and a brett refermentation, so probably talking high threes pH. But, you know, you should do a starter. If you're doing 001, yeah, might as well introduce a little bit of this beer to inoculate your bottles with. From what I'm seeing with our experimentation, I think regardless of whether or not it's sour, introducing some of the beer that you're carbonating in a starter, it's just always going to give your yeast, like, just the fighting chance it mm-hmm. deserves. So I think you definitely want to repitch, just, just to put that out there, like, blatantly. Like, you don't want to rely on residual yeast that's been sitting around. And, yeah, residual yeast, whether it's bread or sack, that's been sitting around for that period of time to recarbonate bottles. Maybe this is not helpful. <laughs> Word. What do you say? <laughs> Mike, headphones. put on your headphones. I can't. <laughs> Don't knock over your beer. All right. Well, what, about, what about if he used Brett, would it take longer to carb? Yes. yes. It does. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then you're going to want to prep that Brett a lot, you know, in advance because it's just not as strong as Saccharomyces, basically. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you for the question, Chris and uh, Garrett, earlier. And thank you to everyone who writes in with questions. Well, I think this show is over. But before we leave, I want to remind you guys to listen to other BN shows. Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, and The Session. And I'm going to challenge everyone in this room to nail this Stay Sour. You guys ready? I'll, I'll give you a cue. So thanks, Scott. Okay. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks to the staff of the Rare Barrel. Thank you guys for being here. You're welcome, Jay. That's where you guys say st- you're st- Thanks for giving me. Are you guys ready for this? Yeah. yeah. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe.